Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let y'all know that my entire family has switched our cell phone service over to Patriot, and it has been such a great move for us. Patriot Mobile is America's only conservative cell phone company. They're all about freedom, the Constitution, giving you the power to support conservative organizations. It's right up our alley. It's like having a superpower for your beliefs. Patriot Mobile uses the same reliable networks as the big carriers, so you'll get great service wherever you go. We did not see a change in our service, and actually it's gotten better. Their customer service is incredible. You call and you immediately get someone on the phone to help you with something. They've got plans to fit every budget from unlimited talk and text to data-packed options for all your streaming needs. And when you make this switch to Patriot Mobile, they will buy out your current contract up to $500 a line. So fellow freedom-loving friends, it is time to make the change. Head over to PatriotMobile.com today. Use the code Blake for 10% off your bill. That's PatriotMobile.com, code Blake. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Christy, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Blake, I'm happy to be here. We just talked for a solid 10 minutes before we started recording. That's how you know this is going to be great because we're both Enneagram 8s. It's either going to be great or it's going to get fire. Fire's going to happen. I mean, I don't know. I consider that great personally. Yes. We're both Enneagram 8s. We both have a history of struggling with like panic disorders and anxiety and talk about it a lot. We have both done like the hustle and grind thing of I can be the superwoman, the hero of my own life. And that's really what I want to have a conversation about today, because you don't have to actually be an Enneagram 8 to try to be the superwoman of your own life or the hero. And so you have a book that just came out when we're recording Nervous Breakthrough, which I love. That is such a great play on words, finding freedom from fear and anxiety in a world that feeds it. Tell me a little bit about your superwoman story, because people are familiar with mine, like my story of I can do it all, I can be it all, and then kind of crashing and burning and the result of anxiety and burnout and all of that kind of stuff. Let's welcome people into your story a little bit. Yeah, like, you know, just the other day you were on your stories and you were talking about workaholic and is my workaholic tied to my worthiness? And I just thought, man, she's onto something right there, because as long as I can remember, I was so excited about the applause of man. And that's what my soul started to live for. So go back to fourth grade and I was in the theater and I was doing shows. And so I was on stages and I was constantly performing and striving. That follows me into high school where I'm campaigning for president of our senior class, goes into college where now I'm doing musical theater as a career. I go into New York City and I'm trying to make it big on Broadway. 
And it was just this constant pursuit for more, more, more success, achievement, accolades, money. I married the love of my life. I decided to hang up my acting shoes in New York and go into the corporate world and become the best saleswoman the world had ever seen, right? So I'm doing it, right? I'm killing it. I'm hustling. I'm climbing that corporate career ladder. I'm making six figures at, you know, not even 30 years old. I've got a wonderful husband and and two great children. And on the sunny beaches of Cancun, I'm sipping on a drink and I am looking at my gossip magazine, People magazine. And all of a sudden it was like, I can't, I can't breathe. And I'm, I'm staring at a beach. So, and so I look at my friends, I excuse myself. I go up to the hotel room and I wind up having a panic attack, but I don't know like that it's a panic attack at the time. It passes in about 20 minutes. I come back, tell my friends, and they're like, well, we're in Cancun, bad water, bad food, who knows? Get home, land, and I turn on my phone. And again, I'm a hustler. I'm a workaholic at this point. I've missed over 200 emails. And I start seeing black dots in my eyes. And then my right side of my body starts getting like tingly and almost like paralyzed feeling. And so basically what happens is my body starts completely breaking down at that time. And so I went through about three or four days of this and I wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden I cannot move the right side of my body. Mm. And I call my doctor and he said, Christy, I think you're having a stroke. Go to the emergency room right now. I get to the emergency room. They do the full nine yards, the, the cardiac screening, the MRI, all the work. They admit me into the hospital. I'm chilling in the hospital. Doctor comes in, goes, oh, Christy, hey, everything checked out great. This is just anxiety. I wanted to punch him in the face. I was like, oh, no, you did not just, I am dying. There's has to be something wrong with me. You cannot. He throws me a bottle of Xanax and he says, here, follow up with your primary care physician. You got anxiety. And from there, my story got so dark and so deep and so severe. I was having back-to-back panic attacks. I could not leave my bedroom. I missed my son's first steps. My parents had to watch my children because I was incapable of it. So everything that I had taken so much pride in, that I can do it on my own, in my own strength, all of a sudden it came crashing down in front of me and I realized my superwoman cape was strangling me and I had to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like same. (laughs) I mean, we have like these same stories down to, I remember my parents had to move in with us Yes, at one point because I could not get out of bed. And I know that there are people who are listening that this does not compute for them. And that I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. I, I love that that makes no sense to you. I love that this doesn't resonate. But I also know that there are women listening who are probably like have tears in their eyes because this is either is their reality, has been their reality, could potentially be their reality again. And I think there's so many factors from the church not taking mental health seriously, not treating it like it's actual health and physical health, but also just this resounding message that women are being told every single day from multiple angles that your superhero cape is your badge of honor. Mm. That Mm. being busy, being stressed, spinning all of the plates, doing all of the things that that is what gives you a seat at the table, that that is what makes you worthy, that that's what makes you, even if it's just, I want to be a good mom, that that is what makes you a good mom. So you're in your like darkest spot. You're essentially bedridden. Where do things go from there? Like, what was, did you have like a wake up moment where you were like, 
I can't do this anymore. You know, but like at the time I was a CEO Christian, which was Christmas Easter only. So I didn't have a problem with God, but I didn't need him because I was superwoman. I had everything all together and was doing just fine for myself. And so there was this moment where I'm having back-to-back panic attacks, hairs falling out of my head. I can't eat. I'm throwing up. I've got diarrhea. It's the worst hell I've ever experienced in my life. And my husband keeps hunting guns in the corner of our bedroom. And I kind of made eye contact with these guns and just the kingdom of darkness whispered this. You're never going to make it. Mm -hmm. You're never going to get through this. This is going to be your life forever. You might as well just use those guns because it's going to be better than what you're experiencing now. And I remember those thoughts felt so real Mm -hmm. and they felt like this is a better option. This will be a better option. And like everyone else will be better off too. Yes. My family will be better because they won't have to deal with this either. Right. And so it scared me because it was one of those things where I was tempted to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I put blankets over the guns and my husband came home that day from work knowing that I had an awful day. And he looks over and he said, why are there blankets over my guns? And I looked at him and I just said, because I'm tempted to use them. And in that moment, we all collectively realized this is not something we can fix. Mm. This isn't something we can just work our way out of. Like, we're going to have to surrender this to God. And so up until that point in our marriage, we had never prayed together. It just wasn't something that happened. And so he prayed over me that night. It was awkward. It was weird. He didn't know what he was doing, but he prayed over me. And that's when hope started to come in. I slept for the first time. I was able to keep down like a Panera bread sandwich. I mean, it was hope started coming in. I just had little mini miracles that started to take place after that surrender moment. And I also had a big moment too, where I was down on my knees looking up at this little cross on my bathroom, which up until that point, that cross was nothing but a religious cross. Mm -hmm. But I looked up at that cross as if that cross meant something and said, okay, God, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why you're putting me through this. But I promise that if you'll get me through this, I will commit my life to you. Again, I had no idea what I was saying in that moment, but it was that surrender of I'm not superwoman. I can't do it all. And I'm going to need an all-knowing savior to come in and help me in this moment because I can't pull up my bootstraps any farther. I'm not going to make it out of this unless I've got somebody to help me through it. I find it so intriguing that you didn't have a... like not a real relationship, but that your relationship with God wasn't a real priority before this experience. And to me, I'm just hearing you tell a story of God using what the enemy meant for harm for good, Mm -hmm. right? Like, because the reality is, is if life had continued to go the way it was before that Cancun trip, if you had continued to just be successful and never struggle, would you be today using your life and your story for the glory of God and the furthering of the kingdom? Would you have the purpose? I would be still self-absorbed, right? selfish, chasing after all the wrong things, climbing that corporate career ladder, more achievement, more success. And so here's the thing, Blake, the world says success is achievement, influence, favor, followers, numbers, money. You know, how many more packages can you sell? Things can you do, right? And you finally make it in the world when, you, when you've achieved that. But when we look in Kings, First Kings, it talks about success is obedience to God, mm-hmm. period. Did you wake up today and do what God asked you to do? And if so, 
that's success. Yes. And I've had to retrain and rework and relook at my life. I mean, even as this book is coming out and it's numbers and it's Amazon rankings and it's all this stuff, I was going to ask you, how did you deal with that, Blake? Because it's the constant grind of moving back into that striving hustle culture where it's like, really, no, God, what what do you need me to do today? And mm-hmm. maybe it's just to talk to the woman and the Walmart parking lot that you don't have enough time or enough margin in your day for. And that's all God needs you to do today. Absolutely. And so it's reworking your whole mindset of what success truly is. And I don't think personally, I don't think that that's something that we arrive at, especially if that's something that you struggle with. There's all these different ways that different people struggle, right? And for some people, the idea of success isn't it. It's they just want to feel safe or they just want to feel loved, right? And I think all of us have all of those kind of rotating through our brains all the time. And the reality is, is all of those are still going to result in some kind of striving, right? If the end goal for you is love, you're going to be striving to get people's love. If the end goal is success, you're going to be striving for success. And the reality is that a relationship with Christ is the end of striving because you can't do any more than he's already done. So why not rest in that and actually enjoy it? And I will say, I think that a big shift for me personally was I grew up in a pretty legalistic Christian environment. My parents really weren't, but literally every other, like the school that I was going to, the church that I was going to, the youth group, the camps was all very legalistic. And the idea of enjoying your life was completely foreign to me. It was a life of sacrifice. It was a life of dying to yourself. It was a life of It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants for you. And all of that is true, but there's some nuance to that conversation that like, I really do believe that we serve a God that is good enough, that he also, like, he's okay with us enjoying the ride. Absolutely. We're not going to always be comfortable and it's not always going to be enjoyable, but there should be moments and seasons and glimmers of that. And when it took me really divorcing myself from both hustle culture and legalism to step into, okay, I don't have to strive to find success in the world, but I also don't have to hate my life. I also don't have to like, it doesn't have to be one of constant sacrifice and self deprivation because I've been given a new heart. So now what my heart wants is what God's heart wants. Mm. We're on the same team. We're working towards the same goal. So If the next right step that's in front of me, if I'm going to step into obedience, why can't it be something that I am gifted in, that I, that I enjoy, you know, and so stepping into the career that I have today was a step of obedience because I'm a talker and I've always been a talker and I'm always (laughs) going to be a talker. And God was like, why don't you go use that for my kingdom? Go use your gifts for my glory. Yes, exactly. But also enjoy it. I love this. I, it's still insane to me that I get to do this every day with incredible people. You know what I mean? And so I think it, and I said that at the beginning of the episode, I think women are hearing some form of this message from so many different directions, whether it is the church telling you one thing or the world and all of the like self-help, self-betterment teachers telling you another, our experience is not unique. Mm-hmm at all. Like there are so many women out there having the same exact experience, whether they grew up in the church or God uses that as their come to Jesus moment. 
Yeah, you're you're bringing up some things that like are kind of hot button topics for me too with the whole body, soul, and spirit thing. Now, I this is a little controversial, but I have some major issues with how the church treats mental health. But surprisingly, I have some major issues with how doctors are prescribing antidepressants like candy. 100%. And so I've got this tension, you know, if someone, when I was suicidal, would have handed me a Bible and said, you need to pray more and you need to read your Bible more, that would have wounded me so deeply, Blake, because I wasn't physically able to read my Bible. I couldn't shower. I couldn't, you know, so it's like church leaders. I need you to hear me say that if someone can't do daily activities, if they can't care for their children, if they can't shower, if they can't get out of bed, what they need is your prayers. Yes, but they need you to walk alongside them. They mm-hmm. need they need to feel love and they don't need a, just a Bible being slapped over their head. Now, in the same token, I feel like our doctors need to understand that there is a spiritual side to fear and anxiety as well. And that we need to get to the root. So I had a wise primary care physician that when I went to and had the follow-up visit, he said, Christy, are you going through a divorce? Or, or is there financial strain in your life? Do you, you know, are you healthy? Is everything going okay? Is your kids okay? And I'm like, doc, everything's great. I'm the most successful I've ever been in my life. My marriage is great. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. Fix me. What's wrong with me? And he's like, how many hours do you work? Mm. And I told him, oh, I was like 80. And I was like, proud of it because busyness right. is a badge of honor, right? For me at that moment. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And so then the doc looks at me and he said, Christy, you've got severe panic and anxiety disorder. But here's what he said that I felt like was so brilliant. He said, Christy, I'm going to give you some medication. It's going to help you. And I need you to take it. But I also need you to go home and do the hard work. Mm -hmm. I need you to find out why you're in the space that you're in right now. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to take this medicine and it's going to help you. But if you don't get to the root as to why this is happening to you, you're going to come back to me and I'm going to have to just keep upping your prescription until I've given you so much that you can't have anymore. I don't think that's what you want for your life. And I remember at that moment, his lips were moving. I was like, oh my gosh. And I think it's kind of like, if I could use like a bow or hunting analogy, it's like when you pull the bow back, it takes a lot of strength to pull that bow back, but you have to go back to plow yourself forward. So what is it in your life that is making you chase success or love or achievement or whatever it might be? And dig deep, get to the root of that. Medication is a tool Mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful for it, but it's not the answer. Selexa wasn't my savior. Jesus Christ was my savior. And the Selexa was a tool that helped me get spiritually healthy from from the body, soul, spirit kind of outlook on it. That's so good. I completely agree. I mean, I had a doctor put me on Lexapro when I was 17 Mm. and it was very much just a here you go, take the meds. It was like the LSU Student Health Center <laughs> that mm. was just a, a rotating door of kids probably looking for Adderall or some kind of antidepressant. 
And I have been on it ever since because I didn't have a doctor that had the forethought or the intentionality to say those things. And so now I'm 34 trying to figure out how to get off this stuff Mm. when I've been on it for most of my life and completely dependent on it and probably going to have terrible withdrawal symptoms. And that's not the answer either, right? Like I shouldn't have been on it for my whole life. And I know that that is controversial. I fully believe in medication. I believe that it's meant to be used for a season. Mm. You know, it's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid because to your point, your doctor told you to go home and do the mental work, but also like the physical work. I quit eating gluten like three months ago. Haven't had a panic attack since. And we're like the same. This, Yeah, I'm completely paleo. Yeah. And that's the other part, body, soul, and spirit. So I've had to get rid of, I, I mean, I have an autoimmune disorder. I have Hashimoto's and that creates a lot of anxiety. So it's like, there are physical things that we are doing that's creating extra anxiety in our life. It's the sugar, it's the caffeine, it's the gluten, it's the soy, it's all of those things. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm learning to just completely fill my body with different stuff. Hey, I got some great gluten-free recipes for you, girl, if you need okay, some. Okay, good. Perfect. Because I'm like a newborn. I'm like just figuring it out as I go. But I will tell you, I mean, I had, and I haven't really talked about it a whole time because I, I get weird about talking about medical stuff publicly because I don't want people to think that I think I'm a professional. I'm not a doctor. I'm just some chick <laughs> trying to like make it through the day. You know what I mean? But I read a book that was all about the gluten, how it interacts with your body. Not, it wasn't like a weight loss thing. It was just like the mental and physical impacts. And I had a terrible gluten detox. My first two weeks of being gluten-free, I was like, this feels like how bad anxiety has been in the past. But then once I broke through that, Mm -hmm. it's like now you you couldn't pay me to eat gluten. Because like you said, you keep saying like, we're more than just our bodies. We're more than just our minds. We're more than just a soul. Like it's all those things working together. And it takes a lot of intentionality and time and effort to take care of all of them. It sure does. And so I have kind of this little theory called smoke alarms. So like if a smoke alarm went off right now in the middle of our interview, you would be like, hold on, we got to figure this out, right? Well, our body has built in smoke alarms and they are blessings. So when we have insomnia and we've got stomach aches and we've got tension headaches and we're clenching our jaws and we've got all these things going on. It's our body going, hello, hello, Mm -hmm. hello. There's something going on here. There's something going on. So I'm so passionate about teaching people these smoke alarms because truth be told, I was a workaholic achiever running after all the wrong things, had tons of these smoke alarms going off in my life for years and years and years. And it's really the grace of God that I didn't break down sooner. Yeah. So if we can teach people to go, Hey, you know, this language, like you're a pain in my neck, or I've got butterflies in my stomach. Those are all things that we say when anxiety is present, but nobody pays attention to it. Like this is so important stuff. And I think that if we could just get better at going, you know what? I haven't slept in three weeks. Mm, Maybe there's something I need to, you know, figure out here. Or my jaw really hurts because I'm clenching it at night. Or I've had this tension in the back of my neck, but we don't, we just plow through and we keep moving forward. And I think your pause is your priority. And if you don't learn to pause and look at some of this stuff, you're going to wind up being powerless. Mm -hmm. So it's just really starting to think through these things a little bit more. And it's so important to pay attention to your smoke alarms. When we're not as women taught to take care of ourselves, not in a real way, right? We're taught the hair and the nails and the makeup, but 
beyond that, we're taught to exercise so that we lose weight. We're taught to eat right so that we lose weight. We're taught, you know, like there's so much, we're so much more than the body that we live in and that we show up in. And I think if we equipped women to even know that that those things were smoke alarms, because there are probably people listening going, oh, wait, shoot. Yeah, my neck does hurt. Is that not just how things are supposed to be? I'm not supposed to just be uncomfortable and miserable. What are some of those smoke alarms? And so I had this interesting interview the other day where they're like, is it different for men and women? And I thought that was an interesting question. And I don't think that the smoke alarms are different. I think the roots are different. Why the smoke alarms go off. So really for, for me, it is absolutely 100%. I get a, like this rubber band that goes across my chest and it just feels like this tight, tight chest. And it literally, it's like somebody's taking a rubber band and just like going across like, and, and then like any minute it's going to pop. Mm-hmm. I also get really short of breath. All of a sudden I'm just like, it's like I have to take cleansing breaths. And so, and then I get racing, racing, racing heart. Like just, I mean, I can't, I can't get it to stop. And then generally what happens, I know a panic attack is coming when I start to feel those smoke alarms. Some precursors though would be the thought racing. Mm-hmm. If I'm just, where, where you just cannot get your thoughts to stop. Like I know that means that I'm dealing with something that I really need to deal with. I think also, the clenched jaw is a big one for me as well. And then I get really bad tension headaches in the back mm-hmm. of my neck. So all of those things are really, really big for me. What I normally do is I, here's the thing, people don't realize this, but you shouldn't exercise and get your heart rate up too high when mm-hmm. those smoke alarms start going off. But a good walk and throw on some worship music, that's going to burn off that adrenaline and that cortisol to kind of calm things down in your body. And what's crazy is we want to retreat in those moments. When we start to feel that band or that chest tightness or that heart palpitation, we want to just like curl up in a ball. But really the best thing you can do in those moments is go be active. Yeah. Mine is, I feel like somebody's strangling me, Mm. like actively just wringing my neck. And you know, what's been working really well for me lately is cold showers. Really? Okay. some kind of like, they call it like an amphibian response or something like that. Some people do it where they put their face in ice water. I've just been turning the shower on as cold as I, it, I can. And I have to like, like force myself to jump in, but I'll just stand there for a minute. And it, I don't know the science of it. I wish I did. I just saw it, I think on TikTok and was like, yeah, sure. I'll try anything. And so I did it, but it works. It like calms your body and it levels things out and going for a walk. Or if I can't go for a walk, I will straight up do jumping jack. Okay. Or like high knees, like right wherever I am. Because a lot of the time it is, you're right, like burning off extra energy that doesn't like doesn't have anywhere to go in your body. Yeah. And I get this question a lot too. Like, how come you started having a panic attack when you were resting? And I think this is really important. And I guarantee there's gonna be somebody on the other side of this is like, oh my gosh, I had a panic attack when I was on vacation too. What happens is when your body is running at supersonic jet speed, what will happen is when you rest, it looks at rest as a threat. Mm-hmm. So your body starts going into this fight or flight freeze mode when when you start resting because it's used to running. One of my most favorite quotes is by Dr. Archibald Hart. He's not with us anymore. He wrote the book, The Anxiety Cure. It was, it was such a blessing when I was overcoming severe panic and anxiety disorder. But he said, we were built for camel speed, not supersonic jet speed. Yeah. And I go back and I think about the way Jesus traveled everywhere. They walked 
And the fastest way they moved was by camel. Yeah. And I just think we need more camel speed in our in our society, Blake. We need to yeah. slow it down, slow down. And I think that is also what's creating so much anxiety. Yes. In our world right now is just we're running too fast, too furious, too quickly. I'm super passionate about that right now. I've been using the term chasing slow. Oh, I want to chase slow. That is what I want to prioritize for myself and for my family. Like I have a six and an eight year old and they're starting to get into like the world of sports and extracurriculars and stuff like that. And this is, I've said this on the show before and it's always controversial, but like I'm not ratting the roads for my kids whole lives. I'm not doing five practices a week and we don't sit down and eat dinner together once. Preach. Because to your point, like I'm, that's not what we're built for. And if we're looking at end results, that doesn't build the family life that I want. Because here's the thing. My kids aren't going to the Olympics. <laughs> they're not going to Juilliard. They're not going to like play in the majors. They're just, they're not. But what I do want for them is for them to be decent. I want them to know how to prioritize a family. I want them to be able to have conversation and also not live their lives in a way that they have always been taught that they have to be going 100 miles an hour. That's not what I want for my kids. So we prioritize things really differently than even a lot of the people in our lives. And it's, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying this is what's right for us and for our family is, and as someone who very much like you, like we were talking at the beginning of the episode, I did the hustle. I did the run and grind. I did the working 80 hours a week while training for a marathon, while only eating keto, while trying to build a business, while my husband also worked 80 hour weeks. The beginning of my kid's life is a blur. Mm -hmm. And I'm, that is a huge part of it for me is I don't want my kid's entire lives to be a blur. I want to remember it. And I want them to remember that I remember it. Presence is such a gift. And I think we are losing the art of being present with one another, our children. I mean, I am so guilty of it too. And it's these phones. I mean, it, it it's stealing precious time and moments. It, it, let's not talk about the comparison and the mental health strengths that's happening with teenagers and the next generation. I mean, just it's stealing precious moments. And, and I'm with you. We have a, we, we try to have a one sport yeah. per season rule for each Same. child. We have three kids. Yeah. So it's like, that's three things. So it's just, it's so important, but I mean, I don't know about you, Blake, I find it to be difficult. It's so difficult to go against the grain yes. because your kids come home and they're like, but mom, I wanted to, mama, mama, you know, and it's just like, it's hard to stand firm and say, no, I prioritize being with you over running you to a bunch of places that I won't even be able to have a conversation with you on. Yep. And so, yeah, good for you. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I actually just put in my stories the other day. It was in reference to phones for kids. But I was like, our parenting mantra is I want you to be weird now so that you have a shot at some mental stability later. That'll, that's perfect. Like, that's I don't want my kids to peak in high school. No, thanks. Like, I want you to be a really cool, well-adjusted 30-year-old because that's when your life really starts to, like, start and matter. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think the more that we can teach our children that this hustle, busy culture isn't, I mean, if someone would have taught me what I didn't know now, I probably wouldn't have had the nervous breakdown. Now, I know that it has catapulted my mission and my calling and my pain turned to purpose and, and I wouldn't take that back. But I'm telling you what, 
panic and anxiety is from the pits of hell. It is straight up torture. Anybody that has gone through a panic attack before, they wouldn't wish it on their worst enemy. And and, and so as a parent, I fear that I'm going to pass some of that stuff down to my children Mm -hmm. or they're going to experience it. And you just, you know how awful it is. You don't want them to experience it either. Yeah. Oh, that's a huge one for us is just like I was saying that I was such a mess the first few years of my kids' lives. Now I'm like, oh, God, what did I, what did I instill to them? What am I working to undo as I undo it in myself? But I think even just the awareness, the fact that we are mothers who are trying to be better for ourselves, for our mission, for our children, for our husbands, like that, I, in my opinion, puts us ahead of the game. That puts us in the race that we are even having these conversations, doing the work to try to undo what we learned from the world. We're not going to do it perfectly. Don't let that add to your anxiety that you need to do not having anxiety perfectly, right? Like let your kids see you struggle. Let your kids see that you don't have it all together and that you don't have to have it all together to be worthy of love and affection and goodness and kindness and all the fruits of the spirit but also like do the work. Yeah. And I want to be better for my kids because I want to, I want them to be able to be better for their kids. You know, like when you start thinking about life in terms of eternity and generations and legacy, it really changes everything. I think at the end of the day, my biggest lesson was if I will just take myself off the throne Mm. and realize that God is on the throne. And if I will just work out of the overflow of being with him and spending time with him first, he gives me the desires of my heart. I'm still an entrepreneur. Yeah. I still get to crush it at business. Yeah. I still get to do all the things that he wants me to do. But now I'm doing it through his power, through his strength, through his anointing. And that is so much more powerful to live in that than to just do it in your own strength. Because your own strength, you're going to fail every single time. You're going to burn out. You may not yet but it's coming for you. Mm-hmm. And so it's when you'll just learn to surrender and be with him and, and let him guide your day. Let him guide your experiences. Let him guide your conversations. It's just such a better and more fulfilling way to live. It is. Amen. Wow. Thank you so much. Is, I feel like we could talk forever, especially because I think we're, we might be a little bit of the same person, but I'm so <laughs> thankful for your story and that like God used what the enemy Men for harm, for good. And I think that pisses the enemy off, and I love that. Sure does. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week. <laughs>